How can we thank God enough for you in return for all of the joy that we feel before our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you face to face and restore whatever is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we abound in love for you. And may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up. And raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that day does not catch you, and that that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, who has come to us in our Lord Jesus Christ, and is coming again to make all things new. Would you be with us now, and may the words of my mouth, and may the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. You are our rock and redeemer. And so we ask for your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the holiday season is upon us. How are you feeling about that? Do you look forward to this time of year? Um, do you dread it? Does December sneak up on you every year and stress you out? I think if we took a straw poll of everyone in the room, we would find that uh, we'd get really a full range of responses to that question, right? How are you feeling about the holidays being upon us? The range would, would probably span from it's the most wonderful time of the year all the way over to I'm really just trying to make it through this year. Some of us love to escape into 
this time of year with our playlists and our decorations and desserts and shopping lists and travel itineraries, all these ways through which we try to create this little cozy winter wonderland refuge from ordinary life. On the other hand, many among us would love to escape from this time of year with its complicated family time and reminders of loss and all the expectations and expenses that add stress to an already difficult season. Preparing for Christmas or getting into the holiday spirit can mean a lot of different things, can't it? And that's why at City Church, we believe it's really, really helpful to observe the season of Advent. Because observing Advent and getting into the holiday spirit are really very different takes on what it means to prepare for Christmas. And whether you're someone who is more prone to want to escape into or escape from the holiday season, Advent presents to you an invitation not to escape, but to engage. In her sermon, The Advent Life for Non-Heroic People, Fleming Rutledge says this about the Advent season. It can be argued that Advent, more than any other season of the church year, is immediately relevant to our concrete lives as individuals, to the concrete life of the church under stress, and to the concrete headlines in the newspaper. The reason for that is that Advent tells us about our own lives as Christians here and now. Advent is where we live, work, play, laugh, struggle, and die. Advent is the time between, between the first coming of Christ and the second coming, between darkness and dawn, between kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. It is not the time of fulfillment, it is the time of waiting. It is not the time of seeing face to face, it is the time of seeing through a glass darkly. It is not the time of triumphant victory, it is the time of bearing the cross. In other words, Advent isn't just about getting ready for Christmas. In fact, it's not even primarily about that. Advent is about getting ready for Christ himself and the kingdom that he has promised to establish when he returns to the earth. So this four-week season uh, of Advent where we enter into the story of Israel's longing for the coming of their Messiah is meant to be for us a kind of spiritual boot camp, if you will, in which we practice in a focused way this posture of watching and waiting for God that Jesus calls us to assume in really every minute of every day of every year that we live as human beings in this time between the first and second coming of Jesus. And so preparing for Christmas the Advent way, is about turning our hearts toward Christ as we anticipate his glorious return. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here in this text that we just read from Luke's gospel. And what we find here in this section of Luke 21 is that Jesus is speaking apocalyptically about both the future and the present. 
he describes this future moment when he will return in glory and power to bring the fullness of God's kingdom to bear upon the earth. But he's also instructing his disciples about how they ought to live today in light of that tomorrow. If you've been around City Church much over the past few months, uh, and you were here for our series on the book of Revelation that we concluded just last week, um, then you're already familiar with apocalyptic. We've been wallowing in it for quite some time. Weird is our new normal uh, at City Church this fall. And what Jesus is doing here in this section of Luke's gospel is much like what we've been reading all along this fall in the book of Revelation. Jesus is using images from these Old Testament prophecies, the prophets, to paint a highly symbolic picture of the future. And so these signs of the sun and the moon and the stars and the roaring seas and the shaking heavens and the Son of Man coming in a cloud, these are all images from the Old Testament prophets that Jesus' hearers would have recognized immediately and would have intuitively connected as signs of this long-awaited, promised day of the Lord, when God would visit his people and bring the justice and the peace of his life-giving reign to bear upon the earth. It's not meant to be a literalistic description of like what the sky and the weather will be like when Jesus comes back. Rather, Jesus is pulling back the curtain in this apocalyptic fashion to describe the cyclical realities of human life that we experience in this broken world. The hard stuff, the distressing stuff that we experience in every age, right? Violence, injustice, economic uncertainty, natural disaster, what have you. That's what he's doing as he's, as he's apocalyptically or symbolically describing these signs of a kingdom breaking in to this world. This also isn't meant to be like a timeline that, that tells us when Jesus is going to return in any specific way. And in verse 32, when Jesus says, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place, he's not saying that the end of days will come to pass within a few decades of that particular speech. In Luke's gospel, when Jesus says this generation, he uses that very consistently as a figure of speech to describe a posture of resistance toward God and toward God's coming kingdom. Not as like a time marker to designate a group of people born relatively close in time to one another. This generation for Jesus in Luke very consistently refers to this group of people who resist him who say no to what God is doing in Christ. And so I think what we should take from what Jesus is saying here is really just this. Our human resistance toward God and what God is doing in the world will persist until Jesus comes back. It's not like there's going to be some surge in conformity to God's will that's going to make it easier for God's people to live by faith this side of Christ's return. Rather, until that day, we will continue to live with the pressure and the temptation to interpret the distressing things we experience in a way that would cause us to lose hope, 
and in a way that would cause us to lose heart in God's promise. We will always, always in this age, live with the temptation towards cynicism or toward despair or towards self-reliance as we read the headlines that freak us out or as we live with real suffering or as we navigate our real experiences of living vulnerably in a world that we just can't control. We're always going to be tempted to relate to those things in a way that says, you know what, hope is just a pipe dream. Hope is just a naive fiction, an opiate for the masses. We're on our own. But here Jesus says something very, very, very different. He says when you experience the hard, painful, distressing things of this life, he says stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And this is our Advent hope. Jesus is coming to make all things new. And the things that are broken that we experience as not yet made new are not indicators that he's forgotten us. The darkness does not say that the light will not win in the end. God has not forgotten his promise. God has not forgotten you. And the Christ who came at Christmas is the Christ who will come again. And when he comes, he will finish this work that he's begun. He will raise the dead, he will renew the earth, and we will stand before the Son of Man. And what's so beautiful and powerful about that Advent hope is that it's not naive. It's not superficial. It doesn't require turning a blind eye toward the hard things of this life. It actually looks them dead in the eyes and says, no, the light will overcome the darkness. This isn't the superficial, warm and fuzzy sentimentality of the holiday season that creates some happy alternative to reality with soft focus photography and fake snow and lots of ads filled with smiling actors. This is a real hope that actually deals honestly with real pain and real difficulty and real loss in this life without getting stuck in the darkness and the pain of those things. And that, that Advent hope that actually touches the real places of pain in our lives and in our world, that is the hope that you and I need. That is the hope every single one of us longs for and craves, and whether we believe it to be true or not, we wish it could be true. And Jesus is saying, it is true. It is true in him. And he also tells us in this passage that if we are to take hold of this hope, if it's going to become something that grips our lives and bears fruit in and among us, then we must become watchful people. If we're to know the Advent hope we so desperately need to know, Jesus tells us we must take up the work of cultivating watchful hearts. Look at verse 32. He tells his disciples, be on guard. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the worries of this life. What does that mean? 
What is dissipation? I actually had to look it up. Um, dissipation, according to whatever dictionary I looked up online, squandering of money, energy, and resources. It's the self-indulgent splurging that carries our attention and our affections off in a million different directions. It's the, the wasteful impulses, if you want to think about it this way, that all of the formative cultural practices of the holiday season actually encourage us to indulge extravagantly. In other words, Jesus is saying if you want to do Advent, do the literal opposite of what our culture trains us to do during this time of year. It's the splurging, the impulse buying, the overscheduling, the obsessing over Christmas outfits and perfect holiday party experiences and that perfect Christmas photo. It's the things out there, the things that draw our attention and our affections and our, all our energy all over the place and make us scattered human beings. Jesus says, be on guard so that your, your hearts are not weighed down by that. The holiday season says to us exactly the opposite. It says, get caught up in that. Tis the season. How different is preparing for Christmas the Advent way than preparing for it the way our commercialized Christmas culture teaches us to do? What about drunkenness? Well, obviously, we know what drunkenness is. Um, but I think to be helpful, it's probably helpful to expand the definition a little bit. It obviously includes uh, literal drunkenness on alcohol. But I, I think if we think about it as drunkenness um, being like all these fleeting super super, um, superficial satisfactions that we turn to in order to self-medicate. Right? in order to dull our attentiveness to what's actually happening in our lives, which, of course, could be alcohol. It, it works for that. But it could be drugs or food, or it could be the Netflix binge or the endless scrolling on our device, or it could be overworking, pornography, eating the whole bowl of cookie dough ice cream or that just one more Christmas cookie time and time and time again. The things that you or I lean into to carry us out of the present moment into some escapist refuge. The things we use to self-medicate. Advent is a time for us to look on those things and say, hey, you know what? These aren't helpful. At least not in the way that I'm using them in this way. These things aren't helpful. Advent is a time for us to actually look on those things and ask, am I allowing myself to be weighed down with these things in a way that's prohibiting me from being watchful, from paying attention to God's presence in my life, to the people that are actually right around me, to the people God has given me as a gift in my life to love? Am I allowing my attention to be carried away to these other things? Am I allowing my senses to be dulled in such a way that I am growing dim to the light of God's presence in the midst of this darkness? Jesus says also be on guard about the worries of this life. What are these? 
think they're, they're just all the ways we allow our experiences of insecurity in this world, this world that is not yet as it ought to be. We allow our insecurities in that experience to eclipse our experience of security in the arms of our Savior who holds us and promises to bring us at last into the fullness of the life for which he has made us. Our anxieties that spike this time of year for all kinds of reasons. Our fears of how time with relatives will go this time around. Our sense of despair that everyone else is experiencing the good stuff, but I'm on the outside looking in. The worries of this life. Jesus says in this passage that, you know, the heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will endure forever. What he means there is that this, this life as we experience it on earth is not what is most permanent, but that what he says about our reality is what will last. His verdict, his promise, what he has secured is what will endure forever. And when we become weighed down by the worries of this life, what are we doing? We're believing the lie that our circumstances as we understand them are definitive of who we are. We're believing the lie that says the heaven and earth that we now see, that we now perceive, that we now understand are more permanent than the promise of our coming king. The one who says, behold, I am making all things new. Jesus says, be watchful of those things. Don't be weighed down by those worries. But instead, take up a posture of prayerful, attentive watchfulness. Where we anticipate the future and pay attention to the present, both in light of the glorious promise of God who has come in Christ and will come again. That's our Advent hope and that's our Advent calling. And just to close, I was struck in our time of worship earlier as we were singing the song God's Highway, that, that last line, I'm holding on to you, Lord, you're holding on to me. I think if we were looking for a mantra or a little one-liner prayer to guide us in this Advent season as we seek by God's grace and by his presence to cultivate watchful hearts. I think this is a good one. That we would prayerfully give ourselves to watching for all the ways that the Lord is holding on to us. To pay attention to the reality of the promise of God who says, I'm coming for you. Wait for me. And then in faith, by his grace and by his spirit, to take up that calling of saying, oh Lord who holds on to me, I'm holding on to you. And that we would do that together as people of hope, as people of watchful waiting this Advent season. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we give you thanks for giving us your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit who has made us alive together with Christ, who has united us to your Son and to one another, and has made us participants even now in this kingdom which you have established on the earth and you will bring in fullness one day. Would you give us grace? Would you give us watchfulness? Would you give us humility and patience that we may diligently 
actively, repentantly, and faithfully look forward to your coming kingdom in a way that helps us to look outward in the here and now as those who love our God and our neighbor. We need your help to do that this Advent, and so we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.